Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Well, good morning, City Walk. I got my flowers on my toilet paper, so I'm ready to preach uh, this morning. Well, good morning, everyone who's here today joining us, and for all of us joining online, we're glad that you're here at City Walk Church today. My name is Glenn Robinson, and I serve here on the guest experience, city groups, and the teaching teams. Um, And I want to give a special welcome and thank you to all my friends and family who drove up and made the journey to be here with us today. So thank you all so much. And for those of you who don't know, uh, my wife Terry and I have five kids. And uh, so I just want to show you who they are really quickly. Um, So my beautiful wife, Terry Lynn, a lot of you know her, a lot of you have had conversations with her, Um, if not, coming soon. And um, also uh, my oldest, David, and my oldest daughter, Annabelle, and my middle son, Elijah, my youngest daughter, Amelia, and my youngest rascal, Levi. So uh, you've probably seen them helping out or running around here. Um, You know, whenever people say, oh, you have kids, like, yeah, I got five kids, and they're like, five kids? I'm like, yeah, man. And, but, uh, you know, I always crack up when that happens. But when people say, well, I got six or seven, I just, hey, you know, more power to you. That's respect right there. Um, well, my full-time job is working for the state of California. And I'm also a professional photographer, a media director, and a communications lead for a Web3 brand. Now, with all of that, sometimes I need to travel. And in fact, I just got back last weekend from a technology, business, and innovation conference in Indianapolis, and it was amazing. Uh, Before I fly out, though, anytime I go anywhere, whether it's to uh, a business event or a photography adventure, whenever I travel, I take a very intentional and concerted moment to look my wife and each one of my kids in the eyes and tell them I love you. I tell them I love you when we're hanging up the phone. I tell them I love you when they go to sleep at night. Um, Before the pandemic, when I used to have to travel to Sacramento for work, I'm so glad those days are over, but when I used to have to travel early in the morning, I would go into their rooms while they were still asleep and just kind of put my hand on their head and just say in my heart and in my mind, I love you to each and every one of them. Some of us do the same types of things, right? Why? Why do we do that? Why do I do that? Well, it's because my wife and my kids mean so much to me. Can anyone relate to that? You you only get one of them, and there's only one of you. When I tell them I love you, it's because every single day of my life, and when you tell people that you love them on a constant basis, it's because every single day of our lives, we recognize two things. Number one, we recognize life is short. And number two, that you never know 
what's going to happen to yourself or to others. According to the CDC, over 3.4 million people died in 2021 with the average life expectancy being 76.4 years. On average, people here in the United States have 76 years and some change to do what they're going to do before they're gone off into eternity. But what's crazy about that statistic is what it doesn't mean. You see, what it doesn't mean is that each and every one of us in this room here today are guaranteed 76.4 years. It doesn't mean that. Uh, a couple months ago, uh, my wife Terry and I went to a funeral for some very close family friends of ours. And when we were there at the graveside service, I remember walking with some of the family members and just kind of observing the, the gravestones and the tombs and, and just looking and, and realizing that, wow, this one was so young, or wow, this one, they lived a long life, or wow, this one was a teenager, wow, this one was a, a young adult. And, and I was reminded that, that death is no respecter of persons. Death doesn't care if you're young. Death doesn't care if you're old. Death doesn't care if you're educated or not educated, wealthy or poor. It doesn't care if you're powerful or popular. It doesn't care. When death is coming for us, it's coming for us, right? It's no respecter of persons. And like me, I'm sure all of us have had that same kind of thought once or twice in our lives where we thought, you know what, life is short and we never know what's going to happen. But beyond life being short and beyond never knowing what's going to happen, I think there's something else that we need to ask ourselves. And it's this, while I'm here and while I have this short life, am I making my life count? While I'm here and while I have this short life, am I making my life count? Count? Am I living with purpose? Am I making a difference? Am I impacting lives for the kingdom of God? Am I making my life count? This morning we're going to look at Psalm chapter 90. So if you have your Bibles or your app or whatever you got, this is the first time I walked in this church with the Bible. I'm be real. You know why? Because I got this. Okay, so <laughs> I usually just pull it up on my Bible app and just kind of go through as Pastor Chris is preaching the word. But if you have your Bible and if you have your app, I want you to turn to Psalm chapter 90. We're going to be looking at the word of God this morning. And as we read through these verses, we're going to see that it builds a pretty good case for making our lives count. And it gives us some, some ways that we can do that. So as we're pulling up Psalm 90, I want to give you a little background and context to this psalm. The book of Psalms exists in the Old Testament collection of scriptures called the writings. You have the law, you have the prophets, and you have the writings. The writings are comprised of poetry. They're comprised of proverbs. They're comprised of songs, like we're seeing this morning. And, and many of the psalms were famously written by David. David wrote Psalm 23. You all know that one. The Lord is my shepherd. David wrote Psalm 119. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You guys, I'm sure, are familiar with those things. And the word psalm simply means a song of praise. It's poetry written as a song. And the entire book of Psalms are songs by the people of Israel 
for the people of Israel. And what's cool about that is it's also for the entire world. There's truth for all of us in the book of Psalms. Now, in the idea of the Psalms, there are many different types of songs. There are songs of remembrance, songs of praise. There are songs of suffering and songs of joy. There are songs of instruction and songs of poetry. But I believe that Psalm 90 is a psalm of wisdom. It's going to help us live if we listen to this prayer written as a song and composed by Moses. Now, what's interesting about Psalm 90 is that this is the only song penned in Scripture that exists in the book of Psalms by Moses. He had a couple other songs in different places of the Old Testament, but only one in the book of Psalms, and it's Psalm 90. And for those who may be unfamiliar with who Moses is, how many of you or your kids have ever seen the Prince of Egypt? That's Moses, all right? That, that guy, not the Disney character, but, but it represents the Old Testament figure, a man who was respected in the children of, of the children of Israel and the people of God for thousands of years. He was called by God to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt and to the promised land. That's who Moses is. The Ten Commandments guy, that's Moses. Moses lived 120 years. And this psalm that we're going to look at in a few moments was written probably during the last third of his life. 120 years, so the last 40 years of his life. The first 40, Moses spent as a wealthy and privileged individual in the kingdom of Egypt. The middle 40, Moses spent in exile, running away from punishment, running away from consequences because he killed an Egyptian. The last 40, Moses spent his years, his life, the remaining breaths that he had leading the people of Israel through the wilderness because Israel chose to sin against God and disobeyed the Lord and did not have faith in being brought into the promised land. And Moses was consigned to that role of leadership. Well, I got to be with the people of God through this time. And it was during this time, this context, that the book of Psalm chapter 90 was written. It was in a context of suffering, a context of trial, a context of testing. You see, when God said to the people of Israel, go into the promised land, I'm going to give it to you. And he sent 12 spies. Ten were bad, two were good. Two came back saying, we can do this. Ten came back and said, nah, they got giants over there. They're, they're too big. They're too strong. We can't do that. And all the people of Israel agreed. And all of them said, yes, we cannot do what you want us to do, God. We can't make our lives count in that way, Lord. We can't do it. And so God said, that sin comes with a consequence. And the consequence is, okay, for all of you who doubt me, not a single one of you will live to go into the promised land. Not a single one of you will cross that border into the promised land. All of you will die wandering this wilderness because you wouldn't trust me. I just want to say this really quickly, that the things that were written in the Old Testament were examples for us today on what to do and what not to do. just want us to remember that. In the context of this is where we find Moses likely penning these words. So let's go ahead and, and look at this. Psalm 90, verses 1 and 2. 
The Bible says, Lord, you have been our refuge. In every generation, before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and to the world, from eternity to eternity, you are God. You know, we should make our lives count because we belong to a great God. Anyone want to say amen on that? All right, cool, just checking, just tapping in. We should make our lives count because we belong to a great God. God is a friend to his people. It says that, God, you have been our refuge. Refuge literally means shelter, a place of protection, a place of safety, a place where people can go when, when they don't know where to go. And you can imagine as they wandered through this wilderness just kind of living out the consequences of their decisions, the consequences of their actions. They had no physical place in the world to call their home, but they had a spiritual place in the heavens to call their refuge, and it was God. And that's pretty cool. It's like a trusted friend who, when you're out and about and you need a place to crash, you call up your friend, yeah, I got a couch for you, come on over. The Lord's a friend to his people, even though we make crazy decisions. Who hasn't? He's a friend to us. But what's really cool about this is that he's a friend and will always be a friend. The Bible says in verse 2, before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from eternity to eternity, you are God. And that should motivate us to do something with our lives, knowing that that's our God. In fact... I want us to do a little exercise, okay? I want us to do a little exercise. In your heart, you don't have to say it out loud, but in your heart, I want you to add one word to the end of verse two. All right, let's look at verse two again. It says, from eternity to eternity, you are God. I want you to add one word to that, and I want you to say it in your hearts, and here it is. Add the word my. Now say it in your hearts. From eternity to eternity, You are my God. That's powerful, man. That's good stuff. And you know what? That is biblical truth. It is real. He's our God. It's just not some God that exists way out there in the the universe or way beyond the stars and we can't see him. God is our God. If you have ever cried out to the Lord to forgive you of your sins, if you have ever placed your faith in Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, if you've ever said, God, I will follow you, save me, help me, if you cried out to him, guess what? At that moment, God became our God. He's a friend. He will always be a friend from eternity past to eternity future. He is our God. John chapter 15, verse 15, Jesus says this, I have called you my friends. Isn't that awesome? That we're not enemies of God, but that we are friends of God. When I was 18 years old, My mom's here today. She knows this. She knows it more than any other human being in this world. When I was 18 years old, my life was so reckless and out of pocket, I was on the fast track to hell. I was crazy at 18. I'm really proud of my kids, uh, especially my oldest son, David, for not being like I was (laughs) because I was a bad kid. And even though my mom would take me to church every single Sunday, My dad wouldn't. He'd be watching the Niners game. But that's cool. 
because later in life he got saved too. But, but every, even though my mom would take me to church every single Sunday, I could care less about Jesus. I could care less about what was going on in that church service. But after a number of events, certain things that God used to grab my attention as an 18-year-old, he showed me that I was lost in my sin and that I needed a Savior. He made it very clear to me I was unsaved and I needed to get right with God. So on September 14, 1995, I got on my knees by my bed and I cried out to God and I asked him for two things. I said, God, I'm so sorry for all of my sin. I confess it to you. Please forgive me and help me. That was it. I asked God to forgive me and help me. And you know what? He did. Literally the next day, I felt like someone had opened up like the shutters that were over my mind and my eyes, and I could see the world for as it is. I, I could actually see that there's people here that I've been an absolute disgraceful punk towards in my life, but now all of a sudden, I want to go tell them I'm so sorry for how I behaved and I love them. One of them was my dad. God did something in my life when I came to faith in Jesus. And from that day, I realized that I have a great God, a God who would care enough to wake me up. You, you ever have a friend who didn't tell you you had food on your face? How about a friend who did tell you you have food on your face? You kind of appreciate that friend a little more, right? God's a friend. And he said, Glenn, you have all sorts of mess in your life. But let me help you out. And I realized that I have a great God. And I realized that that made me want to make my life count more than it ever had up to that point and to this day. How about you? Do you remember that day? When you gave your life to Jesus, do you remember that day when you put your faith in God? Do you remember that day? For real? And how on that day you just wanted to make your life count for him? Anybody like that? I know most of us are like that. But maybe you've never had that moment of accepting that forgiveness. Well, perhaps today is your day. We'll get to that more later. We have a great God, and that should encourage us to make our lives count. But also, we have a great God, and we should make our lives count because our lives are short. I mean, when you get down to the nuts and bolts of what Psalm 90 is all about and what this prayer and song by Moses is all about, it really does come down to this. Ladies and gentlemen, your lives are short. You won't be here forever. Look what it says in verse 3. You return mankind, God. You, God, return mankind to the dust, saying, Return, descendants of Adam. For in your sight a thousand years are like yesterday that passes by, like a few hours of the night. You end their lives. They sleep. They are like grass that grows in the morning. And in the morning it sprouts and grows. By evening it withers and dries up. For we are consumed by your anger. We are terrified by your wrath. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days ebb away under your, wa uh, your wrath. We end our years like a sigh. Our lives last 70 years, or if we are strong, 80 years. But even the best of them are struggle and sorrow. Indeed, they pass away quickly and we fly away. 
Who understands the power of your anger? Your wrath matches the fear that is due to you. We should make our lives count because our lives are short. Let me ask you a question. Do you know why everyone dies? Do you know why? Why does everyone die? Well, for those of us here who don't know why everyone dies, let me start by saying this. When God created Adam and Eve, he did not intend for anyone to die. He meant for Adam and Eve to thrive. He meant for Adam and Eve to enjoy his blessing. He meant for Adam and Eve to live and to live with him forever. That's why he put in the middle of the Garden of Eden not only the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but also the tree of life. He wanted his creation to live, not die. But when he did place them in the garden and say, hey, of all the fruit of the tree, you can eat freely, freely thereof, but there's just one tree in the midst that you can't eat from because in the day that you do, you're going to surely die, and that's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, through temptation and disobedience, they actually reached out, grabbed that fruit, ate it, and God's word was true. In the day that they ate from that fruit, they should surely die. But wait, I, I, what do you mean? They, they still lived, right? I mean, didn't Adam live like hundreds of years after that? Yeah, that, that's right. But let me, let me show you. Here's the flowers. Question. This nice bouquet of flowers. Pretty cool, right? Not sure how much it costs. Probably about 30 bucks or so. This nice bouquet of flowers. Let me ask you a question. Is it alive or is it dead? Is it alive or is it dead? These flowers are beautiful. They smell great. They're, they're heavy. They're, they're, they're lush. They're, they're thriving. Look at the green. Look at the colors. They're beautiful, but they're dead. They're dead, and in the moment that the florist clipped them from the plant, they died. Even though it looks like it's alive, it's actually dead. And in the moment that Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, even though they looked like they were still alive, that was the moment that they were clipped from the life of God. That moment was called sin. And as they were perfect and innocent and, and beautiful inside and out, all of a sudden they'd enter into a world where now they are fallen and shameful and distant from God. And you want to know what the crazy part is? They didn't yet have kids. This is crazy. They didn't yet have kids. Why does that matter? Why, how does that answer the question why we all die? Here, here's how it works. After they sinned, after they gave up their innocence, after they became sinners in their nature, in their heart, after that is when they had kids. So let me just ask you a simple question. Could they pass on innocence and perfection to their children? Or did they just naturally pass on sinfulness, brokenness, 
and distance from God. What, what did they pass on? They passed on sin. And the Bible says in Romans chapter 6, the wages of sin is death. What we get for sin is, is dying. And so when their kids had kids, what did they pass on? They passed on sin. And when their kids' kids had kids, what did they pass on? They passed on sin. And when your great-grandparents had kids, what did they pass on? They passed on sin. And when your grandparents had your parents, what did they pass on? They passed on sin. And when your parents brought you into the world, what do they pass on? Sin. And when we bring our children into the world, what do we pass on? Sin. The reason why we all die is because for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It's inevitable. This is why our lives are short. Our bodies are cursed. In verse 3 it says, God, you return mankind to the dust, saying, return descendants of Adam. See how that all makes sense now? We all came from that first person who sinned. Our bodies are cursed. Adam was created from dust and we all go back to dust. Isn't that wild? Our lives are frail. In verse 5 and 6, it talks about how the grass grows up in the morning, but then it's withered and dried at night. Moms, you all know because a couple weeks ago, you probably got some flowers. And where are they today? They turned brittle. They withered up. They dried out. They're in the trash. Our lives are so spry and so youthful and so vibrant and vigorous, and we're like good to go, but not forever. Our lives are frail and our days are numbered. In verse 10, it says this, our lives last 70 years or if we're strong, 80 years, but even the best of them are struggle and sorrow. We get 70 to 80 years per the CDC, the KJV, the NIV, ESV, and the CSB. We get 70 years. Now, let me ask you a few questions. If at the age of 10, I walked up to you and said, you have about 60 years left. Do you think that would have changed the, the way a 10-year-old lived their life? What do you think? Probably, what? So what? If at the age of 20 I said, hey, you have about 50 years left, would that change how you lived as a 20-year-old? Nah, probably not. If at 30 you said, I said, you have 40. If at 40 I said, yeah, 30. If at 50 I said, you got 20 years left. Man, I'm 46. I mean, 20 years and some change maybe? But does that change how I live? What if someone said you have a year? What if someone said you have a month? What if someone said you have a week, you have a day, you have a minute? Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 each person is destined to die once. And after that comes the judgment. Everyone has a date on the calendar. We don't know what it is. The reality is this. Life is short. We never know what's going to happen. And we might not even have any of the amount of time that we think we have. Toilet paper time. Anyone know where I'm going with this? Not, not to the bathroom, but with, you know where I'm going with this, this, this object lesson? 
You know, this, this, I don't know, this is kind of thin ply. I was expecting a little, I was, you know, I wanted some Costco or Kirkland or something. But this is kind of some thin ply stuff, but still, it works. You know, when you see a roll of toilet paper and it looks kind of like this, you're like, wow, it's going to last me a while. You know, I, I got some time. But when you revisit that roll of toilet paper and it looks about half, you're like, let me just make sure I got a little bit extra over on the side that we're going to be good to go. But when you go in, you know how it is, especially if you've got kids. It's down to like, like half a pull, you know what I mean? Like that's all that's left. You know, it's gone. It's done. Someone told me one time, and I, 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 I want you to never forget this toilet paper illustration, okay? Someone told me one time, life is like a roll of toilet paper. The closer you get to the end, the faster it goes. What? That's some toilet paper theology. That's crazy. When I was told that, I never forgot that, and you'll never forget it either. Our lives are short. Our bodies are cursed. We're frail. Our days are numbered. So how are we living? Isn't that what it comes down to? Doesn't it come down to, are we making our lives count or not? Well, maybe you're here today and you realize, maybe you're watching online and you realize, I'm not. Well, you can change that today. Maybe we're here and we're, we're trying. We're trying to make our lives count. We'll get some encouragement here then today. Our lives are short and that should inspire us to make our lives count. But how? I mean, let's just get down to it. How? Well, we should make our lives count by doing things that matter. Duh. That's like, oh yeah? I thought you were going to give me something better than that. But, but check this out. Look at verse 12. Look at what verse 12 says. Here, after saying all that about God and after saying all that about ourselves, look what Moses prays in this song. Lord, teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. I see in this verse a very significant ways, a way that we should make our life count, and it's this, pray. Pray. Pray and ask God to make this a reality for my life, for your life, for our life. Pray and ask the Lord to teach us to number our days. You see, the reality is this. We need God's help to do the math. I can stand up here and I can yell and I can show you flowers and toilet paper and, and, and all this stuff. But the bottom line is that we need God's help to do the math. It, it's really not going to count. It really is not going to add up. It's really not going to make sense in here unless God through his Holy Spirit and his word puts it within you. And sometimes the Lord is just waiting for us to say, God, I'm open to it. And to pray to him and to ask him, God, teach me to number my days. We need his help to open our eyes to understand that this is important. We need his help to be in tune with his reality. God teaches to number our days, and look what it says. It says, teach us to number our days carefully. I can't impress the gravity of these words upon you. I can only talk about them. 
But if you pray and if I pray and we ask God together to help us, to teach us, Lord, then he can make it clear to us and he can make it real to us. And why should we pray this? The end of verse 12. So that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. Now, what's wisdom? Here's wisdom. Understanding what is important in a situation and acting upon it. That's wisdom. Wisdom is not knowledge. Everybody has knowledge today. You got YouTube gurus. You got TED Talk seminars. You got higher education. You got scholastic adventures. You got anything that you got. All, you got AI. You got anything that you need to get knowledge. But guess what? Knowledge is not wisdom. Because knowledge does not tell us and teach us how to recognize what is important in a given situation. And knowledge does not tell us what we need to do in that given situation. Only wisdom does. And God says here that we need to ask to have that reality, to have that awareness of our lives being short. And then from that, Lord, teach us this reality so that we may apply our hearts to wisdom and develop wisdom in our hearts. And here's why that's important. It's, it's, it's just crazy. When God said, all of you people aren't going into the promised land because you wouldn't believe me, there were only three groups of people who were exempt. Do you all know who those three groups are? Ten were bad, two were good. Who were the two? That's Sunday school vibes, by the way. Who were the two? Caleb and Joshua. Their households were exempt from the curse. Their households were given a golden ticket to go right on in. After everyone has died, go right on in. Why? Because you two believed in me and said, we can take that land. We can make our lives count. We can do it, okay? But what's the third group of people that were exempt from the curse? Everybody, and this is crazy, everybody who was under the age of 20. 20 was the cutoff. If you're older than 20, you got the curse. If you were 20 or younger, you were exempt. You want to know why? Because in the Jewish culture, and how things worked, if you weren't older than 20, you had no decision-making power in the community. If you were older than 20, you had no, you, you had decision-making power. If you were younger than 20 or younger, you had no decision-making power in the community. So what does that mean? That means everybody who wasn't allowed to vote, whether they should go in or not, God said, you get mercy. I know what you would have voted, but you still get mercy. What does that mean? Think about it. It means that everyone older than 20 is going to have to wander, and they wandered for 40 years, and they were going to have to die off. But who was watching them? That next generation. So the kids that were 10 years old would be 50. And the kids that were 15 years old would be 55. And the kids, the young adults, the young men and young women that were 20 years old and they just barely made the cutoff, like, whoo! They would be 60 years old. 
And they would be that next generation to go into the promised land and take the conquest and believe in the power of God and make their lives count even though their moms and dads and all the elders decided not to. They would go on and do it. But guess what? Moses is praying this in the context of a lot of these older people still alive. And he says, God, teach all of us. Yes, the younger generation But Lord, the older generation, those who rebelled, those who sinned, those who made the bad decision, teach all of us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. Why? Because we still have time left and we can still make a great godly example for that younger generation, even though we messed up. That's powerful to me. Because I've messed up. Have you? Don't discount yourself from fitting into God's plan and making your life count because you messed up. Because you feel that the toilet paper roll is closer to the end for you or for whatever reason. Don't discount making your life count. Because with God, there's always mercy. With God, there's always forgiveness. With God, there's a millionth chance if you want it. So what really matters in life, what really counts, what's really important, only you can answer that. God, just, he just keeps giving us more opportunities to turn things around, doesn't he? I'd have to venture to guess that even here today, this morning, someone's sitting here and just feeling like, I got to get this thing turned around. You can. It's not too late. Are you here? Are you alive right now? Are you defying the CDC's odds? We can still make our life count. Here's a test. Here's a test to kind of assess where you're at. And it's something that Pastor Chris shared with me the first time we met. He said, when you're on your deathbed and surrounded by loved ones, if that's how it works out for you, you're on your deathbed, you're surrounded by loved ones, In that moment, what's really going to matter the most? In that moment, what's really going to matter to you? And I want you to answer that question in your heart, because I don't know. Maybe we'll think about the things that we wish we focused on. Maybe we'll think about the things that we wish we prioritized. Maybe we'll be so glad that we took the time we did to prioritize certain things. But it's kind of like a test. But with a test, there's always got to be an answer key. And here's, here's the answer key. Here's how to know that we can all be good on that day. If that's how it ends for us, here's how we can know we're all good on that day. It's from a classic poem written by C.T. Studd. It's just one line. C.T. Studd was a British missionary who was born on December 2nd, 1860 in the United Kingdom and died July 16th, 1931. 70 years. 70 years. He spent his life in dedicated service to the Lord, serving in China, India, and Africa. And although he was born into a family of wealth and privilege, he lived his life preaching the gospel to the lost in foreign lands. And he wrote a poem called, Only One Life Will Soon Be Passed. And it goes like this, Two little lines I heard one day, traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Here it is. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. 
Only one life, yes, only one. Soon with its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord, to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I hear the call, I know I'll say, twas worth it all. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And when I am dying, how happy I'll be if the lamp of my life has been burned out for thee. Pray. Ask God to make this a reality. But the second thing we should do, well, you're going to need to come back to a city group to find out. Why? Because I'm out of time. <laughs> I am out of time, man, but it's in the city group discussion notes. If you're online, you can find it on our app. But I really think we need to settle business with God on the first point. God, teach us to number our days so we can apply our hearts to wisdom. So that's our action step today. Pray those words. If you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, start there. I told you last weekend that I was at a conference, and the conference was called VCon. And it was founded by a multimillionaire entrepreneur named Gary Vaynerchuk. People call him Gary V. Some of you guys have heard of him. Gary V is known for being a serial entrepreneur, an author, an innovator, a thinker. I don't know if he's a follower of Jesus or not, but he uses a lot of colorful expletives to describe whatever he's passionate about. All right, that's just Gary V. Well, in his closing address to a crowd of thousands and thousands of people, he dropped a precious gem of wisdom on the audience. You see, people pay good money to hear Gary V give them business advice. Why? Because they, they want to be successful like he's successful. They want to make millions like he's made millions. They want to build businesses like he's built businesses. And he told them these words. He said, you can build, but you ain't going to build anything until you're good here first. And he pounded his chest. He said, you got to be good here first or you ain't going to build anything. What he was saying is that until things are right with yourself and your heart, you aren't really going to achieve what you're trying to achieve. You're really not going to make things count. And there's a lot of truth in that, but I think there's one critical missing component, and here it is, Jesus. And that's the critical missing component. I mean, we can be good with ourselves through self-acceptance and through self-awareness and self-education but unless we're building our lives on a relationship with God through Jesus, it really is just building sandcastles along the vast shoreline of eternity's ocean, and it's really not going to last. Jesus said it himself. I'm just going to summarize this for whoever's doing the notes. He basically said, look, I'm giving you these words. You can listen to them. If you listen to them, you're building your life on the rock, and it's going to stand the test of time. Things are going to crash against it, hit it but you're gonna still stand the test of time. But if you don't listen to what I'm saying, Jesus says, you're building sandcastles. And they're gonna go away. If we really want to make our lives count, it's gotta start in our hearts and it's gotta start with Jesus Christ. It just has to. God is great. Life is short. We never know what's going to happen. Will you make your life count? Let's bow our heads together.
Now, I'm not going to tell you all to get out there and raise families and build businesses and start ministries and all this kind of stuff until things are right with us and God. And the reality is this, unless we're good with Jesus and building with him, we're really not doing what we need to do to make our lives count. Maybe you're not a believer in Jesus, but you can simply start building your life on him today, and it's simple. A, admit that you have sinned. And that you need forgiveness. B, believe in Jesus Christ. That he died on the cross for you and rose from the dead. So that all your sins can be forgiven. And C, choose him. Simply say, Lord, I need you. I'm sorry for my sin. I believe that you died and rose for me. I choose you today. That's it. And maybe you're a believer in Jesus and you've been trying to build things in your own way, on your own terms, with your own goals in mind. I just want you to know that you have a chance this morning to realign your life with God. Asking the Lord to help us, to teach us, to number our days. God, I want to get my life right with you and keep it moving in the direction you've called me to. And God will give you that help. He will. That's why we're here today. We're here to believe that God is a good God. Not trying to ruin us, but to save us. However the Lord is speaking to you, let's allow him to have his way in our hearts this morning. Responding in faith, saying yes. We have two people up front here. We have Matt and Corinne. They'd be happy to pray with you if you feel like you need prayer. Maybe you made a decision for Jesus today. There is a connect card in front of you. We ask that you would fill that out. And just let us know how the Lord's working in your life so we can pray with you and support you and walk with you in a growing relationship with Jesus. If you're online, you can just simply go to citywalk.cc and find the decision card there. Please fill that out. Take that next step. Whatever that step means for you, let's make our lives count.